0: welcome to "That's a Good Question," where we're walking through uh, our sermon from last Sunday at Peace Church: Biblical Answers to Big World Questions. We talked about human identity. Pastor Ryan preached a sermon. Where we addressed some big topics in our world about race, gender, sexuality, and uh, we got tons of good questions from the Peace Church family. And so we're going to walk through several of those questions and get a chance to answer them together.
1: Yeah, I just want to say I, I was really impressed by the questions that came through. I thought the questions were relevant. They were thought through, and the Peace Church family did not hold back with the questions. No, for so, sure. Yeah. I'm gonna give you the hardest ones.
0: So. Oh, good. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. Well, I get to ask you the first one All at right. least. So Perfect. here we go. Here's a question from uh, from our from our church. Since God used people who were in polygamous relationships, why couldn't he use a monogamous homosexual couple to
1: accomplish his plan? Yeah, this is a this is a great question. As a common question, as people look through the breadth of scripture and they see how God has used broken people, couldn't he use those in the same way. And I think what we need to understand is the difference between when God uses someone to fulfill his purpose, he does that despite their sinfulness. Right? And so God only uses sinful people, except for Jesus Christ Himself, which is important to us to, to look at when we when we entertain and dive into Scripture, because Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of every every broken aspect of Scripture. Uh, so, so when it comes to like something like the the polygamy that we see in Scripture and how God has used people like that, like with Solomon or Abraham, we have to remember that number one, this was not God's original design. Um, this is not this is not the design that we see from the first pages of Scripture. This is not the design that we see Jesus affirm or the the design for marriage in the Epistles. Um, and also, though on the flip, when you look at this issue, you have to realize like. Just because God uses broken people, that doesn't sanctify their brokenness, yeah. right? So God used David in tremendous ways. David was a murderer and adulterist. This does not mean that God sanctions murder or adultery. Right. All the brokenness and all the broken people we see in, G- uh, see in scripture, Jesus is the fulfillment, which is yeah. why we don't look to the people of scripture as our ultimate example. We look to Jesus in all things. How would, you, how would you respond yeah, to that? Yeah, you
0: got it. I mean, one other category we talk about is descriptive text and prescriptive text. Yeah. Uh, the Bible describes people who practice uh, polygamy, but it doesn't prescribe or recommend that you do polygamy. Right. That's, that's bad. Yeah. So, Especially in the case of Solomon, like you mentioned. The Bible is pretty clear that actually Solomon's polygamy is what led to his downfall. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah and the, the other thing about that is just when you look at stories like that in Scripture, they're never cast in a great light. And in fact, yeah. it only just further highlights when you move outside God's plan how much havoc it brings on on people and family and yeah so it's a great question um, but I think when you look at the breadth of scripture it's one that gets cleared up so all right so so pastor john along these same veins and again I want to affirm the peace church family and friends who submitted these questions because they asked some great Mm -hmm. questions so here's, here's a question for you how how should I respond to a gay friend or a gay relative's wedding invite yeah, should they go? Should they not go? How would you respond?
0: Yeah, that one got asked by several people in the questions. So, uh, yeah, great, very practical question. So the first thing we got to talk about is what does it mean when you go to somebody's wedding? What are you actually doing when you go to a wedding? Uh, we say that a wedding is a is a covenant. It's one of the that's a Bible word, that, and one of the few places that gets used in our world is in weddings. You hear it, you're making a covenant, and uh, part of that covenant is that all the people who come. They're like a part of that, right? It's before God and these witnesses is often what the officiant says. Mm -hmm. So you're coming as a friend or a family member and you're to to bear testimony to this new relationship, this union, this covenant, and by going to a wedding, you're saying, yeah, I'm for this, I will support this, I bless this. Um, And so for Christians thinking, should I go to uh, the wedding of a homosexual couple? um, I think we have to say, man, I can't say I'm for this, I support this, I bless this. Um, I think the next question, of course, is, well, I love that person. I still want to have a friendship with that person, and that's what you should do, right? We care about those people. Um, So how do I communicate that I love them as a person, and yet I don't affirm what they're doing in this wedding? Um, And I think the answer is that you don't go to that wedding, but you want to tell them the truth. You want to be honest with them. Um, Whether that means you write them a letter um, you can still send him a gift and say hey uh, I know you're doing something that is um, a big change in your life this is a big moment for you you know where I stand on that but I love you and so um, I just wanted to write you a letter and and uh, and just let you know why I'm not there, but that I still love and encourage and support you. Maybe another way uh, to communicate that you still want a friendship is to say is to try to schedule maybe that next uh, time to get together for lunch or coffee after the wedding, so they know already you're not planning on ending your friendship at the point of that wedding. Yeah, um, those are some of my thoughts. Do you have any thoughts you want to add? Yeah, there, right? I, I
1: just want to affirm that. We're not talking about breaking a friendship or breaking a relationship. We want to maintain that. But the, the the symbolism of a wedding is important and it means something. Uh, I think one of the things you also said, and I know we're gonna we're gonna thread this needle throughout a lot of these questions, is, is just the, the paramount aspect of truth to everything. Yeah. When it comes to our, our ways that we interact with the transgender community, with the gay community, uh, we never want to withhold our motives. We want, we want our heart to be known. We yeah. want a breathing. Breathe, uh, bring things out into the truth and in, uh, into the light, and so to share with them, don't just not go to the wedding and don't tell them why. Yeah. That's not yeah. fair. Right. Um, if they invited you, it's because they love you and they respect you and they want you they want you to be there. So don't just not show up. Uh, you've got a burden and I think a responsibility to share why in a loving way yeah. that you can't you can't affirm this. And again, like that that aspect when we talk about other things like using pronouns and people's um, new names and that sort of stuff. Uh, the idea that we are always leading out with truth because we, we are people of truth and love, yeah. and we can't both are necessary for our interaction with people,
0: yeah. And uh, and along those same lines, brought it out too is that um, I said in there too that um, when a Christian goes to a wedding, this is what it communicates. Well, I think the other uh, subtext is that Christians should be careful and consider every wedding that they go to, not just the ones of homosexual couples that invite them to a wedding, but any other wedding too, you got to consider what does that mean? Am I supporting this union? Do I uh, believe God blesses this union? So good, good stuff. All right. Next question, Ryan, very, uh, very challenging, very personal question here and I'll ask it sort of in the, in the very specific way that it was asked. And then I'll also broaden it out a little bit. How does a parent respond to a child who identifies as gay? Um, and we actually received several of these questions with a. Low, so the bigger question was, how do I love without affirming? somebody who's living a homosexual lifestyle. And some of the other examples that people wrote in with was uh, somebody who's a friend or a nephew or some other relationship. But for right now, let's start with, how does a parent respond to a child who identifies? Yeah,
1: I also want to say that I got that question three times before I even left church on Sunday. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's, a, it's definitely a part of our, our culture and it's an issue that parents are dealing with. I want to lead off by saying, uh, my children are all young. I have not had to have this conversation with my children. I say this from, from that perspective, from, from distance. I've sat with parents who have had this conversation with their children. And I've seen the absolute heartbreak in their eyes. So, as I've sat with people and learned, and I just reflected on this myself, I think, you know, how do you respond to a child who identifies as gay when they come out and, and share that they, are, that they are gay to their parents? I think, obviously, number one, it's we affirm that we love them, um, that no, no amount of brokenness in our child's life will ever lead us yeah. to not love them, that we love them. If a child is is sharing that, um, that that takes a level of vulnerability, vul- vulnerability, and and trust that they're being open. So we affirm that. I'm glad that we have that trust that you would share this 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 yeah. personal aspect. Um, but on the flip side, with with that love and affirming that that trust in the relationship, um, again, truth truth is essential to every conversation. And just say, I while I love you, um, I can't affirm this part of you and. I can't embrace this part of you, but I love you, um, and who you are to me transcends your sexuality. You're my child, and that will never change, and, and I will always love you. Um, again, like this is this is a a nuanced conversation that is particular for every set of parent and, and child, and I don't know if there's a really great script that applies to all. Sure. Um, aside from walking with truth and love, and every parent's going to have to figure that out for for those who can deal with this. Um, And hopefully that they would know that they have a church that they can rely on and go to to walk and and have these conversations with so i mean
0: yeah and uh and one of the pieces too that uh, this came through in some of what you're saying is that you know a person's identity is i'm created by god i'm made in his image hopefully i'm in christ if you're a christian you know being uh being gay is not Actually, a part of that person's identity—it's—it's it's something that they're doing. It's—it's—it's, it's it's, you know, it's an identifier that they're pulling out of themselves. But who they are—they are made in God's image. They are, if they're a Christian, they're in Christ. And so you still love that person. Yeah. I think sometimes we're challenged to think you can't love me if you don't love this thing about me. But as Christians, we would say that's not true because the yeah, Bible absolutely. says yeah. the, the Bible just doesn't say that about what our identity. Yeah, is. exactly. Yep. Um, one other specific kind of about this question that came through was, um, what if the person responds? So you said the truth and love that you just shared. What if they say in response, if you don't embrace my gay partner, then we can't have a relationship?
1: Yeah, so that, that came across um, at least twice in specific, specific specific questions. People said, I have someone in my life who, who's gay, and they said, if you don't embrace this part of me or my partner, then the, the relationship is over. That's heartbreaking. Um, and I think we have to remember, like, they're, they're laying those terms down, right? And the way that the world is turning, this, this, uh, this ability for us to continue to walk the same road and just have this healthy tension, the world's not giving us an option. Um, and in, and in, many, in, in many instances, such as what people have been asking, um, our gay friend or relative isn't giving us that option anymore. And for us, it, we can't set aside our conviction Right? We can't set so aside what we think is truth. We can't set so aside what we think is best for this person. And so if that's the terms they're laying down, I don't think we can sacrifice our convictions for that. We can ex- express that I, I don't want it to come to this. Um, I love you. I don't want to break our relationship. Yeah. If you are forcing that, um, then that's then that's on them to an extent. Say, I will love you and I'll be here when you are ready to to, to loosen that thick line. Yeah. Um, I'll be here to, to, to resume our relationship and I will love you Yeah, from now until then and and, and even longer. So and that's heartbreaking, but the, wor- the more the world makes this a core part of a person's identity and who yeah. they are, the more we're gonna have to confront those sort of situations. So, but I would say that we can't sacrifice truth and we can't sacrifice our conscience on these matters. Yeah. So this, uh, the, the next question uh, is is I think in a lot of ways as hard um, it's different but um, because of some of the, the the particular ways this this is being played out so let's just before we get to the particulars uh, let's just speak more broadly for a second here uh, we've got this again a number of times yeah. should should I use someone's preferred pronouns yeah
0: yeah such a great practical question uh, the first I think easiest, uh, practical advice we can share is the first tactic is just try to use their name instead. Uh, and actually, I, I heard that from a friend of mine who's a public school teacher. Uh, he shared that that's his tactic, right? It's just yeah. to just, well, how often do you say to somebody he or she, right? Just try to use their name mm-hmm. as often as you possibly can. Yeah. Now, obviously, it gets more complicated than that at some point, yeah. right? They ask you uh, to use either a different name for them or you have to talk about them in the third person or... As you mentioned, there's some specifics in here. Um, some of the people that ask this question are in very tough situations like, I'm a public school teacher or I'm a public school counselor. Um, and so you're in a situation where your job's on the line, where there's some uh, uh, workplace or legal ramifications for how you choose to engage this. Um, boy, what a hard situation to be in.
1: Yeah, it's this is really hard. I can't imagine like our grandparents having to yeah. have this conversation when they were our age. Yeah. And uh, so I think you know, when it comes back to this, like you are saying, like, let's use names, we wanna be respectful of people, but it kinda goes back to that thread we talked about earlier with, with every time we engage people and we have conversations. For me, it's like, do this, does this person who, who wants, wants to be identified in this way, does that person know your heart in the matter? Mm-hmm. Have you sat down and said, you want me to use these pronouns, can I explain to you why in my heart um, this is problematic for me? Yeah. Again, because again, we want it, we want people that lead out with love and lead out with truth. Yeah. That everything that our motives are always brought in the light before people, because um, I think that will make the conversation easier. Or if we decide not to use those pronouns, at least the person knows the heart behind us is not because we hate them. Yeah. It's because we actually love them and we think this is a this is a better way for us to show our love towards that person. Uh, but I will say, in, a, in an instance like this, we've got to be wise and discerning about who is the person before us and the conversation that we're having, and how are we gonna to continue to, to foster a relationship where we can continue to speak truth in, yeah. into their lives. Uh, again, not in a sneaky way, not in a, not in a way that um, undermines who they are as a person or, or misleads them for our intentions, but we have to lead in a way that they, they know exactly what we're talking about. And how, that they know exactly how, 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 they know our heart and the matter. They know our heart and the matter and how we feel about it.
0: Yeah, and let me just, I, I think just it's helpful for people who aren't this person who asked the question to kind of hear the heart and hear the struggle. Let me just, I'm gonna read part of the question that was asked. Uh, the question is, how do I navigate all this in the current uh, employment pers- place where I'm at? I'm leaving out a few specifics here. I'm currently a, a public school counselor. Um, this is such a challenging topic, that an environment that I've been struggling with over the years. How do I work in a field where my responsibility is affirming all of this and even dividing families by allowing students to change their names or genders and withhold that information from parents, when I know it's not the gospel truth. So, man, that just one of the other um, things that we we uh, we would add to that is just, boy, that that notion there of uh, dividing families, right? As yeah. Christians, we just can't do that. And so, yeah. I, I personally I can't imagine being put in that place. Um, so yeah. we sympathize and pray for all of you who are in that spot. You've got a really difficult. Uh, integrity question to ask of: Can I stand between a child and their parent? Can I can I get in the middle of that? And I think for us as Christians, the real answer is is no. And so, what do you do then?
1: Yeah. So I'm mean, going back. These questions that have come in, and we're very particular from people who work in the public school district, public school district, and it's and it's heartbreaking. And my heart goes out to them. Uh, but I think when we look at our culture, the deterioration and destruction of the family is quite possibly the number one issue that our culture is facing. And the number one attack upon our culture is attack upon the family. Yeah. And when when we are asked to be party towards that, man, that's just the road we cannot go down. Yeah. Right, so so these people are gonna say then, well, can I continue at my job? And man, that is a question that every person's gonna have to decide on their own. I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna tell people what to do because I don't know all the finer parts of their conversation, but I will say that for the Christian, uh, we cannot be party to to the destruction or the division yeah. in a family, yeah. and um, th- again, that's that's the world forcing us in this direction, um, despite what we, what we think is actually best for a family. Yeah. Um, that's a decision I know people will probably fall in different spots on, and as things continue to intensify in this in the public school in the public realm, I think we're going to see more and more teachers um, having to make that hard hard decision. Yeah, yeah. All right, so. Man, these questions, uh, let's just continue to get sink our teeth into these. Pastor John, what would you say to the Christian who experiences same-sex attraction but truly desires to live according to biblical truth? And I'm posing this to you because I know that you, you personally have experience um, loving people who are facing these challenges. Yeah,
0: yeah, I've had the privilege to have two uh, really good friends, uh, two men, uh, in my life, who are friends of mine, who are um, godly uh, Christians who want to follow the Bible, and yet they are same-sex attracted. Uh, they're men who feel an attraction towards other men, um, and they've dealt with that for most of their lives. Um, and they've tried to figure out how do I deal with that that feeling, that desire, that attraction, while still being a Christian who follows the Bible. They know that the Bible says that that homosexual behavior is sin. Um, they know that their their desire is not God's original design. right? God's original design was male and female desiring each other, becoming married. Um, and so they're trying to figure out how to live in that world. And um, I mean, the, there's so many things that we could say. I, I, the first thing I wanna say is that if you're that person, you need to find a church and specific friends within your church that you can be honest with uh, and receive encouragement from. Because in my experience of having those two friends, um, that's what they need most is other Christians who can sit with them and read the Bible to them and remind them of what God says and encourage them and love them because the world wants to tell them all the wrong things, right? They have they have a struggle, and the world wants to tell them to just embrace it, to just just go for it, just live that way, just get into that. Um, and in many ways, it's like it's a little bit similar to the struggle that a, that a, a heterosexual man might feel for, a desire for, Pornography, right? Yeah. The world wants to say, "Hey, this is great. This is fine. Go for this." And they need Christian brothers to step in and say, "No, this yeah. is not what God's design is." Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be here with you, and I'm gonna pray for you, yeah. and I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you fight this Absolutely. struggle. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, some Christians maybe, and so this is me maybe talking to those who aren't struggling with this specifically, but who are in a church and, and need to help others. Uh, we need to realize a little bit that um, I think some Christians are tempted to think. Boy, if you're a, a man who's having same-sex attraction, but you know it's wrong, can't you just flip that switch and decide to marry a woman? And uh, I know for my two friends in that situation, it's just not that simple, right? They can't just change how they feel their attractions. So they're trying to live God's way yeah. despite these desires and feelings. And so we're trying to figure out how we can come alongside of them and encourage them and support them
1: in the midst of that really hard stuff. Yeah, spot. absolutely. I would I affirm everything you're saying. Um for those who who have come into my life with with this, they're same sex attracted, uh, but are trying to live a Christian life of repentance. Yeah. Um, I mean, my my the, the base answer is you got to find a Christian community, a great gospel preaching church that's going to feed you with the Word of God and give you that true biblical community that's going to, in a lot of ways, just support you um, in this in this road that you're walking. And I, and I'll be the first one to say I think the American church, the American evangelical church isn't great at community, Mm. or providing community for those in these struggles, and that is definitely an area that we can serve um, our brothers and sisters who deal with same-sex attraction is by, by increasing our sense of community um, yeah. and the strength of our community, we got, we got work there to do. Yeah, for sure. And in case we weren't clear, too, I mean, um, I, I just don't know that we
0: said it, and I think it's been obvious to both of us, but just to make it obvious to everybody else. So what we're saying is that this person, uh, unless their attractions change and they become attracted to somebody of the opposite gender, then they are living a life of, of singleness, yeah. right? A life that they're not engaging in a, in a homosexual relationship. And so yeah. that's also part of the struggle is, yep. is that.
1: And they've got a great examples in, in Jesus and Paul yes. um, that God yeah. can call, does call people to a uh, celibate life. Yeah.
0: All right, next question, Ryan. How do we interact with progressive Christians who say that homosexual behavior is not
1: sin? Okay, so I, I'll be, I, I'll be, let me say that this question came across a number of times. Yeah. And I shouldn't have been surprised as much as I was about how often this question came across. Yeah. And so when it comes to dealing with other uh, people call themselves Christians who are progressive in nature, who say that homosexuality is not a sin. Uh, before we get into that specific topic, I think we, when we engage those people in conversation, we have to go back to what is our framework we're even talking about here? And for me, that is, that's the scripture. Go back and ask, what do you believe about the Bible? Yeah. Do you believe the Bible is the authoritative, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, Word of God or not? Because if the answer is no, and usually with progressive Christians, they will not say it's the Word of God, yeah. um, getting to a, getting to a, 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 a specific topic like homosexuality is almost a flawed endeavor because you're not even starting from the same framework. Um, so that would be one of the very first things I would say about that. Um, but when it does come to that specific topic, one of the things I do present to progressive Christians in this conversation is what are the bounds? For sexual activity like what what is what's the jurisdiction um yeah if if homosexuality is permissible what's not permissible and where do you draw those lines and where do you get the foundation to draw those lines if not from from, from uh from scripture uh pastor john how would you respond to people yeah
0: i want to i want to echo some of what you said at the beginning of um some of the you know so inerrancy is a key word that we use yeah. the bible is without error inerrant uh It just doesn't have any errors. You know, you can't say things like, hey, the Apostle Paul was, you know, he lived a long time ago, and he was a man of his time, and Mm -hmm. so things have changed. You know, we just can't say that the Bible is without error, it was true then, it's true now. Uh, We can't say that, well, the Bible wasn't clear, you know? Uh, It didn't speak specifically to this topic, or uh, that word meant something different at that time. I mean, that's a contextual, exegetical question. Actually, I've got some resources I want to point you to on that. Uh, Two great books if you're uh, thinking through this question. First one is, uh, What Does the Bible Really Teach About Homosexuality by Kevin DeYoung? Great uh, short book. Uh, on the topic, goes through text by text, and then if you want the big, bad, long one that's going to get into all the details, uh, some of the people who wrote to us were uh, dealing with uh, college professors or their Christian school teachers or, or somebody who's on the other side of this issue. So if you need the heavy hitter, it's this one: uh, "The Bible and Homosexual Practice" by Robert Gagnon. Uh, another big—you can see this is uh, this is the big one, this is the thick one. But some great resources if you need to go text by text and argue with with somebody about this. Um, in love, of course. But yeah, uh, I think you've got it. We treat them with love yeah. and respect, and yet we bring the truth. Uh, it's, it's sad that all Christians aren't united around what the Bible says, but the Bible is really clear on this topic. There are some issues in the Bible that are less clear, but we think this is one that's, that's really clear. Yeah. Yeah. We need to rally around that truth. Absolutely. Yep.
1: Yeah. So here's, here's a great question. Again, this is a specific question that shows that people are dealing with day to day in their real lives. Here's a question that came across a couple of times. How do I talk to my kids about the issue of homosexuality? How do you talk to your kids about it? What a tough one, yeah.
0: Uh, So say a couple of things. So number one, I want to say that if you're uh, a parent of teens, we're already working on this topic here at Peace Church. So in January, we're right now uh, planning an event coming in January where we're going to bring in uh, a great speaker, a heavy hitter, who's going to be able to talk specifically about this issue to our parents and our teens. We're also going to have an all-church seminar that same day who everybody can come to, and then we'll have a time where we focus down for parents and teens. So for teens, we would say... And they're already facing this issue, so let's just talk about it openly. Yeah. Um, that's the approach to take. But with younger kids, it's a little yeah. tougher. So, uh, you know, you have a teenager. We both have younger kids. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I'll just start by saying is that, you know, the first thing we start by doing is just painting a picture of what's the right thing. Absolutely. Uh, God says that marriage is between a man and a woman, so let's paint a picture of what God's design was supposed to be. Yeah. And then we talk about kind of the variations from there. Yeah. Um, and I've had that question already from my, you know, mine are, I've got four kids, seven and under, and my older two have both asked, you know, questions mm-hmm. in that direction. They see something, they kind of say, well, Dad, what's uh, what's that all about? And I have to essentially say, hey, you know how we've talked about that marriage between a man and a woman? Well, this is a little different than that, yeah. and that wasn't God's design. We love that person. We don't believe that what they're doing is right. It's not part of God's plan
1: and design, uh, but we try to love and respect that person. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you said is... And we've talked about this before as parents dealing with the this issue is approaching our kids at younger and younger ages, yeah. right? And as parents, we have to be so intentional at the forefront of this, building that foundation, painting the picture of God's beautiful design for families. Let that be the rock-solid foundation. And then when when lies and fabrications come against that, they know what the truth is from then, which we can then begin to talk about deviations from that and how that's sinful in God's eyes. And so I, you know, I think you know, you start by talking about what family is and God's design from it. As, as soon as kids can talk, and start talking about the beautiful picture of your family, and what God is, it, um, uh, the, the family that you have God's design for family, um, because it's, because when we paint that beautiful picture, it's easier to expose the lies because the lies aren't as beautiful as what God's design is. So.
0: All right, so as we wrap up here, we got one comment from somebody in the in the thread that wasn't it wasn't formed as a question. So that's why we're not addressing it as a question, but it was a comment, and we wanted to respond a little bit. Yeah. So do you want to respond to that comment? Yeah, yeah.
1: So they, they, they were asking about the ways that the black community, um, and they stated that there was stats that affirmed that the, the black community is disproportionately and negatively affected by the police. And we know that that's, that's a heated, heated topic. So um, I'm not responding to a specific question, but here's what I'd say. Uh, number one, we always want to listen to the testimony of people and care and make sure that people know that we love them. We, we, we emphatically ref, refute and reject any forms of racism by anyone and everyone. Uh, racism is absolutely anti-gospel, um, and we are completely against that. At the same time, we'd also say that we have a scriptural call to be good citizens, and so we'd call on all people to be respectful of um, the police and those in authority over us. And so when it comes to an issue like that, I just wanted to share a resource that, as I prepared this message series for the church, I found this book to be extremely helpful. It's called Fault Lines. It's written by Vody uh, Bachman. Uh, he's a black pastor and teacher, and he's an extremely brilliant uh, man. He has talked about this issue in depth, given a lot of research and, and, and thoughts on this and many other issues as it relates to social justice. So it's called Fault Lines, the Social Justice Movement, and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe. I commend this resource to you. It's great. Vodi Bakum. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Great stuff. Hey, thanks for spending some time with us. Thanks, Pastor Ryan. Great to get to have the conversation, brother.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Peace Church and friends for submitting such great questions.
0: Amen. Absolutely. Hey, uh, if you want to find the sermon that we've uh, that this is based off of, you can find that connected to this video. And also, we hope that you'll join us next week as we dive into our next topic. Thanks so much for your time.